Welcome to episode 865 of The Sleeper in the Bust. I am Justin Mason, joined by Jason Collette. Jason, long time no talk. Yeah, hi friends, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. It's uh, a cold morning out here in Northern California, but uh, not as cold as it has been. Usually when I've been recording with Paul this last week, it's about 37 or 38 degrees in my office oh. when we start. Um, but today it is a balmy 49 in the office, so wow, I'm, I'm actually yeah, we've doing got that well. coming our way. We've got it, it's been weird o- over here in the Carolinas. Uh, we were in the 80s for a while, then we had all that that stuff from Ada, whatever one of the 58 hurricanes mm-hmm. that have come through. We had uh, some pieces of that, and like today it's supposed to be in the uh, 72, it's kind of hazy outside, but then it gets into we finally. It starts feeling like uh, full fall, whereas like we have lows in the 30s, uh, highs in the you know highs in the upper 50s. That's you know that's what I'm used to in November. But it's been a little weird this month where it's been uh, like earlier last weekend. Uh, my daughter turned 13, so yes, I'm now a father of a teenage daughter <laughs> for me. Um, and so uh, we went up to the mountains because she wanted to go zip line. She's always wanted to go zip lining, and mm-hmm. I'm either either been injured um, or in uh, rehab and not allowed to, and and you have to, the adult has to do it with the, with the child. And so we went up uh, to the mountains and uh, into um, Boone and Blowing Rock. And it was a balmy uh, 10 degrees when we woke up on Monday morning with a windshield of negative one. And so that was, that was a little weird. (laughs) Uh, It was super windy. Like I've, I've never seen wind like that high. Um, and it, uh, since I've been up here, that wasn't attached to some tropical storm coming through, but it was super windy. Uh, but zip lining's fun. It didn't get hurt, believe it or not. I know yeah, a lot that's of people. The shocking okay, part. Did not get injured. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm surprised with your health history that that uh, that that went according to plan. So. It, it, you know, it was funny when I told my boss, I'm like, "Hey, I'm taking Monday off. You know, it's my daughter's birthday. We're going zip lining. Don't get hurt." That was the first thing out of his mouth. Not okay, sure, just don't get hurt. And he's only been my manager and been with the company for seven months. And it's got to be in your file. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's got to be stamped pretty large in your file by now. <laughs> so uh, we, are, we are back. I'm going to try to continue to record on Sundays, get back into that flow of things since we're both Washington football team uh, fans and that's not going to go well. Uh, though hey, we... I've got their defense going in six DFS lineups today. <laughs> and I have the Lions going in the yeah, other one. Yeah, so exactly. They're, like... they're playing the Lions today. So a little uh, little cross-podcast <laughs> uh, rivalry going with uh, Paul's Lions versus our Washington football team, uh, which is always hard for me to remember to uh, say correctly. So uh, it's someone's got to lose and and obviously both of us are very and, and good it at will losing. be detroit this, this is the day for our boys justin this is it well yeah because hey, they, no. they they win just enough games to ruin their draft slot that's right that's right yeah uh before we forget before we get too far into the show i did want to say a huge congratulations to todd zola for making oh. the fantasy Strider hall of fame mm-hmm. uh rick wilton uh, as well uh rick's not as active on twitter as as todd is but Two awesome selections uh, yes. to that, and hope to be there one day. I'll take it any day if you want to write me in as a veterans committee, whatever. Would love to be there. That's, <laughs> you, know, you look at the names on that. It just sometimes every year when these things come out, though, I'm always blown away. I'm like, oh my god, that person wasn't already in. Mm-hmm. It's like you look at how what I love about Todd, how accessible he is, how available, he, just everything. It's like he'll talk to anybody at any time. He's very public. I mean, he's done so much out there. 
running the Masters Ball community as long as he has, um, and and different thing. But he is. We all we always say like fantasy community is awesome. People are awesome. It's like he's right there at the top of the awesome list because. He's Todd, and it's like mm-hmm. you could sit down and talk with him. You learn so much, and was very happy to see that news for him on Friday. Todd is one of the great guys in the industry. Uh, won the Lore Michaels Award this uh, the the first uh, inaugural Lore Michaels Award that Tot Wars gives out for yep. uh, you know a person who is you know a joy to play with, uh, gives back to the community, um, just kind of our uh, man of the year in Tot Wars and well-deserved for that one. And of course, well-deserved for Hall of Fame. I was actually surprised he wasn't already in. Uh, he did the uh, induction speech for Laura Michaels, uh, I believe it was last year, right? Yes, um, yeah. So uh, it, it's great to see that he gets to give his own uh, induction speech uh, as well. So congratulations, Todd. Really, really uh, proud of you and really, really happy for you. It's, a, it's amazing news. Thank you for bringing that up. I totally would have blanked on that one. Uh, so we are going to talk about some baseball, just talk about some news and notes, and then we're talking about the uh, fantasy award, or the not fantasy award winners, but the uh, the actual MLB award winners, uh, and talk a little bit about their fantasy value moving forward. Some of them, I think, are going to be pretty straightforward, and then some of them are, are really interesting, uh, including I think both rookie of the year winners. So uh, let's start with Kevin Gosman, though he is re- or he has signed his qualifying offer will spend at least one more year in San Francisco and they reportedly have been working on a long-term deal uh, to keep them there keep him there for at least a few more years after that what are your thoughts on Gosman coming into the 2021 season yeah this probably was the most obvious I'm taking the qualifying offer if mm-hmm. you give it to me uh just kind of surprised that they gave the qualifying offer because again this was an obvious uh, obvious take and it's very interesting to see what they're going what Gosman's going to do for 2021 because I did like you know his maturation as a pitcher last year uh and the fact that he just really went all in with the splitter. I mean, it was almost a one for one utilization. When you look at his, he threw his four seamer 49% of the time, the splitter 42% of the time. And then breaking stuff was just, Hey, it's there kind of uh, whatever. I mean, he threw, uh, 66 sliders on the season. So it was just kind of there. Uh, and not the results were really bad on that, but yeah, I, that's where I'm surprised because that's a that's a big investment in a guy that's essentially a two pitch starting pitcher, uh, and yeah, it worked. And 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 this is really the caveat that I'm I'm trying to look at a lot of stuff for when you when you look at 2020, it worked for 60 games. Now, can it work over the over the stretch of what what is hopefully a full season uh, in 2021? That's where I have my concern because the fastball is still hittable. Um, and we you know, last last season the guys hit 295 off it XBA of 300. Uh, the season before 323 XBA of 300. So it is still yeah, it's still a very hittable pitch and he throws it half the time. Uh, that's where I have my concerns. Uh, and we saw how San Francisco's home park played more uh, up offensively this year. And if the if the I mean the way he pairs it up with the splitter throwing the fastball up dump he's dumped the sinker. I'm just concerned that over a longer season, this gets this doesn't hold up as well as it did over a 60 game season. Yeah, I understand that, but I mean, shockingly, he's got pretty amazing uh, uh, projections for next year. So Steamer has him with a 3.81 ERA, a 1.23 WHIP, um, uh, and you know about a little over a strikeout per nine for next season. Uh, so they're 
clearly buying in. Um, I was very impressed by him this year. And and like you said, like San Francisco's park did not play friendly for, for pitchers uh, mm-hmm. this last year. And we assume there won't be fans again uh, for most of 2021, uh, especially in, a, in an area like San Francisco, which is uh, very, very cautious uh, and liberal. So I, I doubt we're going to see fans in the stands until maybe at best late in 2021 season. Right. Uh, so I'm I am a little bit worried. I mean, his home run rate was pretty much the lowest of his career, lowest since 2014. Um, and 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 marketably lower, and so I think I would regress that up a little bit. That being said, uh, thanks to our good friend Eno Saris for uh, hooking me up with the Command Plus numbers uh, for for this last season, uh, one twelve Command Plus. That's among the best in baseball. That's high. Yeah, that's. Uh, you know, while I was looking at the the tiered rankings and, and the color, that's uh, a not dark, dark green, but it's it's in the right direction. Um, you know, in that second tercile above average, so that's where it's. Like I said, it, it's interesting. I'll, you know, getting him out of Baltimore obviously helped. Uh, then again, the home run rate. How much of that is you know, the first full season in San Francisco, and then having to pitch in solely NL West or in the West Division parks? You know, he had to pitch. Uh, and some of the AL stuff that he had uh, what won't have to be exposed to this year. Uh, but again, I just have concern. And there's a number of guys here that where I, I have that concern, but the command plus definitely is where it plays up for him because the splitter obviously is a chase pitch. Uh, he, I mean, he throws it, he throws it for strikes as well. Cause he's such, and that's why we wanted to see him use it. Uh, you know, he throws it for strikes as well as he does, but ultimately it's still, at its root, a chase pitch. And if you, if the command plus waivers, if he stops commanding uh, the fastball or being able to throw that splitter early in the count to steal some strikes, and then he's falling behind in counts, is he going to continue to throw the splitter when he's down in counts, or does he come to the fastball? Because again, the the other the third pitch is there for like O2 situations. Uh, he's not using it, so that's where things like this can fall apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree. I I mean, where would you be willing to take him? Current ADP. Is one fifty two, uh, right next to uh, a guy, another guy we're going to talk about on later on this episode, which is uh, mm-hmm. Devin Williams. Um, but let's see, uh, in front of Dustin May in the starting pitching uh, mm-hmm. world, kind of behind uh, David Price and Frankie Montas. I feel like I mean, that's I a think bit it's appropriate high. place. Uh, I mean, but you look at, so I always look, when I see a guy, I'm looking at guys behind him that I would prefer to take. And just looking at, so let's focus on starting pitchers. Dustin May, Mike Soroka, Joe Musgrove, Pat Corbin, um, Charlie Morton. I mean, that's in that range that I just rattled off goes from 152 to 169. So there's not like a big swing there. Uh you know, wherever Morton lands, I still feel that's the safer of that pick in that group that I just rattled off. Um, especially because if Morton lands elsewhere, it's probably going to be some uh, a place that has better offensive support uh, for him, where he's not going to have some of these uh, these outings put at risk for lack of offensive uh, production. 
So that's kind of where I look at it. And then even Chris Bassett is the great season he's coming off of goes down to 174, which kind of surprises me that he's still that low, but he's gone high as 85. Somebody else is believing in the seven drafts that have happened, <laughs> but he's gone as high as 85 and as low as 214. But uh, yeah, so if I look at that group, there are a couple of names that I like better than Gaussman at his current price. Yeah, Bassett's an interesting one. I know that was that was your guy coming into uh, uh, 2020. He went really low um, in in the draft I'm currently in, and so that doesn't inc- that isn't included yet uh, in the ADP. But yeah, went in the 16th round, um, wow. back back end of the 16th round in a 12 team draft. So uh, it, I like folks. <laughs> <laughs> I like Gosman an awful lot, but. I just don't know that I could take him over a guy like Patrick Corbin. And I think he, maybe the Joe Musgrove area is kind of right. And maybe it's more of a matter that I think Corbin is a bit underrated. But I'd have a really hard time taking Gosman over Corbin, over Charlie. I mean, the hard part about Charlie Morton is we don't know where he's going to play or if he's going to play. If he's going to play. Exactly. Yeah. That That's part of the issue. If he doesn't get the money he likes, he may just say, I retire. Yeah. Because he already has his ring. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. I think the, the interesting guy uh, and probably where Gosman should be going is uh, Tyler Molly. Tyler Molly is going to pick 186 right now. Uh, and I think that is probably the appropriate place for Gosman. Uh, that being said, Gosman's... Um, Gosman Max pick right now is 166. Like he he's he's got a pretty tight range so far through yep. his early drafts. So uh, it sounds like I likely will be out on Kevin Gosman's price, in spite of the fact that I like him and I do kind of believe in what he's done. All right, let's go ahead and move on. Talk about the other guy who signed a qualifying offer. That's Marcus Stroman. Uh, I was actually really really surprised he signed this Were you? one. Yeah, I, I honestly wasn't. Oh wow, I I thought. Considering there's a chance for a shortened season, the pitching market so far before other guys get non-tendered and uh, or or you know or cut um, is really weak behind Bauer. I thought it was yeah. pr- going to be pretty easy for Marcus Stroman to get a three-year, four-year deal, uh, and while the eighteen point nine I think million dollars you get for the qualifying offer this year is great. If you're only playing half a season, that that's $9 million. And wouldn't you rather get your money on the back end uh, in that case? And so I was a little surprised that Marcus Stroman uh, resigned. I was going to go back to the Mets on a one-year deal. Maybe he's another guy that works out a long-term deal with the Mets. They do have money now with new ownership. But what are exactly. your thoughts on Stroman coming into 2021? And that's really where I, you know, I believe that the change in ownership with with Cohen coming in with his large money bags, I think that ultimately was the the, the final decision uh, for Stroman here. But I forgot who we I was engaging with with somebody on Twitter uh, seven ten days ago, and they were asking, "Hey, do you think Stroman takes it?" I'm like, "Yeah, I really do." Uh, yeah, because when you've when you've taken the year off like he did, unrelated to injury, but it's still time away from the game. I think ultimately that would hurt his chances with another club to say, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to give you a guaranteed four-year deal. We don't know how that plays out yet. Uh, and so here's this, he's in a, in a place where he knows that ownership is now, I mean, Mets, we talk about it a lot on this podcast. Yeah, People may think I'm a Mets fan, how often I, I like the Mets. I like what they have. You look at the young core talent. Uh, you know, it's obviously it will be a new catching uh, catcher experience. 
Uh, and by the way, they're, um, we've already had our first fake um, Twitter stuff for <laughs> fake contracts yesterday because there was somebody, Ken Rosenthal, T-H-A-W, put out the Rosen, uh, uh, Rio Muto going to the Mets on a seven-year 162, and it got a little run yesterday. Yeah, so it, guys, got, it got a bunch mark. of people. So yeah. always look blue for the mark, blue guys. check mark. This is a good time of year on your on, on Twitter to subscribe, like hit the alert button to Jeff Passan, Ken Rosenthal, mm-hmm. like put that so you get the alerts because if it doesn't come through that method, it did not happen. Uh, you know, do stuff like that, uh, and that protects you from pushing out. Was like, wow, that was quick, and uh, so yeah, there's going to be a new catching situation there as well because uh, you know Wilson Ramos just wasn't great last year uh, to that point, so. Uh, I, I, it didn't surprise me that he's there, uh, but again, I'm, I'm really hesitant to get excited about Stroman only because I don't know what uh, you mentioned price and where he was being drafted. Marcus Stroman right now is is two fifty nine or two fifty three ADP with a range of two thirteen to two ninety. So like Gossman, rather tight uh, in that, but the guys around him, like he, Ryan Yarbrough, is going just in front of him. And just behind him is an intriguing guy and Drew Smiley, who I saw somebody the other day say he's going to Matt Boyd a lot of people in 2021. And <laughs> I had to laugh at that because, yeah, there's a lot to like about Drew Smiley. Like, where did the velocity come from? You know, he got a lot. He got rather whiffy last year when he looked like he was dead uh, in 2019. So he made some changes. But somebody said he's going to he's going to Matt Boyd some people. And I was like, yeah, that hits close to home. But even Stroman now, he's going ahead of James Paxton. Yeah, it, right now James Paxton's at two sixty three, uh, and you flipped this time last year, and Paxton was well ahead of him. But people appear to be associating more risk on uh, how Paxton finished last year than Stroman just missing last year. Mm-hmm. Well, Can't blame him. we don't know where Paxton's going to end up, right? He, he's a free agent, I believe. I believe. He is, yeah. So he, is. Um, he could he could end up in a really nice situation. Uh, but it's unlikely he's going to end up in a situation, at least in terms of winning games, that was any better uh, than where he was uh, with the Yankees. I I kind of like Stroman. I mean, he's one of those guys that people tend to avoid towards the end of their drafts. Yeah, because he doesn't strike out a lot of guys. But, I mean, he has been a pretty consistent guy in terms of innings. Uh, and with those innings usually comes pretty good innings. Uh, ERAs, you know, the whips aren't great, but, uh, you know, he's a guy who can kind of stabilize your ERA if he needs some help at the end of the draft. Um, definitely not a guy I'm shooting for or, or targeting, but someone I'm watching when I'm kind of uh, running my projections throughout a draft that go, okay, I need a little bit of ERA help. I need some uh, innings uh, totals here. Uh, Stroman's a guy that I, I don't mind putting on the back end, and, and New York is a nice place to pitch for uh, in, in City Field. I wanted to say Shea for a second there, dating myself a little bit. Um, Polo grounds, yeah, exactly, <laughs> right. Um, so like, yeah, it's I think it was a great landing spot for him. I think that w- was a great fit to go back uh, to to New York. Uh, you know, good offense behind him to help him win some games. Uh, and we assume that the Mets aren't going to be the LOL Mets of the past. Yeah, hope not. I'm very curious to see what they do this offseason mm-hmm. to, um, you know, to shore up some of the holes because they have they have the talent. Uh, every year I say this, they have it. I like them. Maybe maybe 2021 will be the year that they finally <laughs> match my expectations. Mm-hmm. Uh, resign. Robbie Ray resigns for one year, eight million dollars. Going to stay in Toronto. 
uh, try to recoup some value and then hit the open market again in 2022. Uh, any interest in Robbie Ray? It's he's an interesting one, and I highly, uh, strongly suggest people go read the article Ben Clements put up uh, on Robbie Ray. Just pull up his Fangraphs page, and it's I think it's the first article. But he goes through some things uh, and and looks at a couple of video clips. You'll recall there was a lot of there was a lot made early of Robbie Ray changing his delivery uh, at the beginning of the season, the shorter arm swing, trying to do the whole Lucas Giolito thing, and he he and Ben goes into it, but. Ray tried to do too much at once. It's like he changed his setup. He changed his arm swing. And then you watched him pitch. You're like, oh, yeah, this is Robbie Ray. I mean, velocity was down a little bit. And he was still going. I remember watching a couple of starts early. And Robbie Ray was like living 91, 93. And that wasn't playing out well. But, I mean, he was struggling. And then he goes to Toronto. And he actually looked pretty decent with Toronto. Toronto got him back to some old habits. Took away the, the, short, the, the short arm swing. Uh, the, you know, again, the same thing we saw Giolito and a couple of other guys use, but they took that away, and then he went back to his old kind of funky, rocky setup. Uh, but again, Ben's article covers that really well. And if you go back and look at what Robbie Ray was able to do in previous seasons, it's like okay, a lot, so much went wrong in 2020 for him in a in a you know small small t- small sample size and all that, but so much went wrong. Uh, but he was like two different pitchers. Yeah, I'm going to change my delivery. He tried to do too much. And when guys make changes, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But we have seen, we've seen previously from Ray what he's capable of. And so to me, he presents a nice bargain because you know it's, it is a, it is a risk reward type of play, but Toronto clearly saw something. It's like, okay, there's something here. And the ADP market plays it out. He's got 319 with a high of 232 and a low of 368. So he's all over the place right now. And even at that contract, if stuff doesn't work out, we know Robbie Ray has got enough stuff to move, to make an easy switch over to the bullpen uh, if they wanted to. And there's no clear closer option right now. Uh, you know, Ken Giles is not going to pitch in 2021. So they, you know, they could do something there if they want to. So one eight, the role could be determined, but you know, we've again. We know there, there. The risk is what he can do to your ratios, but when he's good, I mean, he's still a guy that has struck out two hundred plus three out of the last five seasons, or if we just throw away twenty twenty three of the last four two two eighteen two eighteen two thirty five. When he's healthy, he gets the strikeouts. The issue is going to be the long ball and the command. It could go either way, um, but he's got enough stuff to play up in the bullpen if the if the command isn't uh, if the starting stuff's not there. He can't go deep in the games, but you don't need to this day and age. Robbie Ray is an interesting point in ADP right now through the seven drafts so far on NFBC three seventeen, yeah. uh, sandwiched in between Jake Odorizzi, your boy, and <laughs> Madison Bumgarner, my 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 previous boy. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so, and that said, I take Robbie Ray over Madison Bumgarner. I'm oh, yeah. honestly surprised they're that close because there, there's there's upside in one of them, and you're I'm just surprised. trying to squeeze water out of a rock out of the other one there. Yeah, I'm surprised Bumgarner's so low. I mean, that is a huge course correction. Like, I'm 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 totally fine with his ADP being there, and actually, wouldn't even take him there myself. I'm just surprised his name value doesn't have him higher. Uh, I mean, there wasn't a there wasn't a lot to like there this past year, uh, but with with Ray again, you know what he's capable of, and you know I, the the 2017 season is still going to be an aberration. I mean, I don't ever see a, a sub three ERA from him again, but 
you know, again, his career is also 426. That that feels like, you know, give me something in the low fours, high threes with all those strikeouts and hopefully a usable whip because that's always been the suck with him. You know, 135, 134, 147. It's like that 115, again, in 2017, that was the outlier. But it's like he's been strikeouts and he's been kind of wins a couple of times, but those mm-hmm. ratios have always been the killer. Yeah, it depends. If you're if you're going to roster him, you got to build your rest of your staff around that. Because if he's going to be out there pitching every fifth day, and he's going to impact your ratios, but get those strikeouts. It depends how the rest of your roster is constructed. If you can have him or not. My, I mean, I like Robbie Ray from a concept point of view. You know, if you're at the end of a draft and you need the strikeouts, yeah. The problem becomes he's a one category pitcher. Only one time in his five starts after he was traded to Toronto did he go five innings. And so you're not likely going to get a ton of wins from him because they're going to be very smart about his usage and not let him face the order three times. Uh, And unfortunately, because he walked so many guys, that third time through the order is going to come a lot quicker than a lot of other pitchers. uh, And he's just not pitch efficient. And the issue, not, not only are walks a problem, he's just not pitch efficient. He gets a lot of foul balls. I mean, there was one game in particular I was watching. He was facing the Padres. I was watching a game early on uh, in the in July or maybe early August where he was in just spoiling off pitches, spoiling off pitches, spoiling off pitches. Uh, and and he was throwing. I think he had a shutout through four and then just in the fifth just got bombed. Uh, and it's like, yep, that's Robbie Ray for you. Uh, that's where it comes to because he's you know, with the lack of with the lack of an effective off speed pitch. I mean, he throws two different breaking balls as his off-speed pitch. He doesn't have he doesn't have uh, a, a a discernible off-speed pitch. Everything is the fastball, the you know fastball, slider, curve, sinker. That is his game, uh, and so he gets a lot of foul balls, and that's ultimately what ends up hurting him. It'd be nice if he could throw some kind of changeup. Apparently, he was trying last year and threw thirty overall, um, all the right-handers uh, with it, but. Yikes! Uh, those numbers aren't those numbers aren't good at all. Uh, with it, so we'll see if he could come up. I don't know. It'd be interesting to watch to see if the, he could come up with a new pitch because the changeup definitely was new because he didn't even throw it in 2019. He was trying something last year. Yeah. Uh, let's go ahead and move on. Talk about Chris Sale. Uh, the Red Sox say he will not be ready to start the season in 2021. Uh, that it will start the year on the IL. I mean. I don't think this is super surprising, but what is surprising is that people are drafting Chris Sale in NFBC leagues uh, already, uh, along with, you know, we can throw in, you know, Noah Syndergaard and Luis Severino. Like, would you, if you're in an early draft here in the next uh, month or two, take a shot on any of these guys? Chris Sale, no. I And I don't get it. I mean, his ADP is 215. He's gone as high as 123rd, uh, 123, as low as 254. This is me. I don't even think he's rosterable in 2021 in a mixed league, unless you're in a keeper format. Because they're, I mean, they're saying midsummer. And, and remember, he had a surgery March 19th. So midsummer would put him at July, would put him 15 months out. You know, my track record is long on these guys. Like, I don't want anything to do with them until they're two years out. But again, we had you Darvish, we've had Chris Bassett, we've had Lance. We have a lot of examples of guys and what happens as if they try to come back too quickly. I mean, we're talking 
15, if, if they're following the timeline, 15 months post-surgery for Chris Sale, I don't see any good outcome coming of that. And for him to be taken that high is, to me, is crazy talk. I, I just don't see it. I, again, if you're in a keeper league and you can you can take him at a decent price now, bench him and, and keep you know that I get. You know, in my home league, my home AL league, uh, I think he's a free agent. I could see somebody paying, but you know, like to me, if you if you're paying, you got to look at the three year price and how much risk, how much of your current budget are you willing to risk to give up to acquire him for the long for the long term play. But I do not think he's rosterable in reset leagues in 2021. Yeah, I completely agree. I I don't understand how you take him at 221. Like that just uh there's just that is a vital part of the back end of your rotation more than likely. And I I understand that these a lot of these leagues so far are draft and holds and so they're 50 rounds and people are like, "Well, I'll take him and then I'll just, you know, I'll stash him on my huge reserve list." That being said, it's still a waste of a spot and even even if you're not playing an NFBC, because NFBC doesn't have an IL spot for right. four players, you're still having to take up an IL spot, you know, in your Yahoo or ESPN or Fantrax leagues. And we saw the amount of injuries that happened in 2020, not to mention COVID. Uh, and we assume that there's likely going to be COVID still around into next summer, uh, and that maybe play you know play issues with fantasy leagues once again. Like I, I just don't want to touch an injured guy, and I know that's weird for me to say. I don't want to touch an injured guy. Damn it, you beat um, me to the punch. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I knew it's what everyone's thinking, including you. So, uh, yeah, I'm just I'm staying away from the injured guys uh, coming into 2021 again. That's what I did in 2020. Um, it was uh, much more successful than 2019, uh, and I'm just not I'm not going to play the game uh, with that. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I think that's about it on Chris. Sale. I mean, the but, last point I would make on it is let's not pretend that the injury issue is going to go away in 2021. I mean, yeah. with, with this unknown, with this unknown curveball and in, in play of how guys are going to handle going from pitching, you know, mm-hmm. this limited amount and then going back to pitching at a regular season amount. We don't know how that's going to play particularly with young pitchers that didn't have the opportunity to pitch minor league baseball in 2020. So these guys are coming in and the only pitching they were doing is this, if they were lucky enough to be on the the taxi squad, the the expanded camp and doing that type of thing. Uh, But they weren't afforded the opportunity for all the grind of, okay, we're taking a bus trip. We're going here, all the, all the different things. So much stuff was disrupted. I think it's, you have to factor in uh, injury risk. Normally we're like, yep, we're going to pay attention to it. Like if you're going to weight it, you need to weight it heavily in 2021, in my opinion, on the pitch, especially on the pitching side after what we saw this year, because with the amount of with the amount of injuries that we saw in 2020 and some of the surgeries that had to come back from that, it's like there's a whole new fresh set of arms that have to come up and replace those guys because that that's what's left. It, you know, so many guys had to have shoulder surgery, Tommy John surgery. Uh, or trying PRP, uh, just you look through you look through the numbers, and some staffs were really hit hard, and uh, a lot of young kids had to step up, and now we get to see how they bounce back in year two. And let's also not uh, forget that Chris, uh, that the Boston Red Sox aren't going to be competing 
or we don't expect. I mean, Alex Cora's not fixed it at all. No, not gonna be right back to it. Yeah, no, they're not going to be. I don't think they're going to be competing in twenty twenty one. And Chris Sale is signed through twenty twenty four. And so, this was, like, yeah, this was no the reason. first year of his contract extension. That's the thing. Yeah, it's like they gave him that contract extension in May of uh, or late in two thousand nineteen. So that the extension kicked in. Like they have one hundred and forty five million reasons to to make sure that he's good because mm-hmm. you know twenty twenty was a lost cause. That was year one of it. 2021, mostly a lost cause. There's year two, so they're paying him 145 million dollars to pitch three and a half years, and he has an opt out after 2022. So I think that is the year. Yep. Uh, I don't think he touches that opt out. <laughs> I mean, if he comes out and just is fantastic, why wouldn't he? Like yeah, if he that, comes out and he's I, old you know, for sale. Uh, you know, when I when I'm looking at a guy with this. I don't know. I, I don't see him. I don't see him touching that opt out. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's turning thirty-two years old before the start of that season. You know, season. He'll be thirty. You know, he'll be thirty-five when that opt out's ready to come up if he wants to. But I don't know, man. Yeah, I, prob- I, I probably, probably right. All yeah. right, let's uh, let's go ahead and move on over to Trey Mancini, who uh, is set to be ready for opening day. He says he feels like his old self. Uh, he is uh, working at getting back in baseball uh, shape, but it sounds like he's got enough time in between his last cancer treatments and uh, and the start of 2021 to have a real shot to be ready for opening day. Uh, kind of a guy that's gone underneath the radar because we had no idea when he was going to be able to uh, be on an MLB field again. So what are your thoughts on Trey Mancini? Is he someone you would target? Yeah, happy he is, you know, happy things are, are trending in a very positive direction uh, for him, given that's, you know, what his diagnosis was when it, what, what did we learn about that? Right about, right before March, or I forgot exactly the timeline, but it's good that he's trending in the right direction uh, and hopefully getting back up to full strength. Uh, you know, people are certainly drafting him uh, in a good spot. He's at 233, tight ADP at 214 to 249 so far. So people are buying in on this. Obviously, as long as he plays in Baltimore, can enjoy that ballpark. Uh, the power numbers should be there for him. It just how what do we do about a guy who's been away from the game for a full year? I mean, and what's timing everything? So it may be one of these things for a slow start. So, you know, I don't have a problem with where he's being drafted, and he's right in front of Heimer Condelario, Hunter Dozier. John Birdie, Chris Taylor. I mean, these are the position players uh, that are either first base or outfield qualified that he's going in front of. Bobby Dahlbeck, Nick Senzel. He's he's appropriately placed. Uh, but I, again, most important thing, he's healthy. And that's the good news, uh, considering it did not look good for him when the diagnosis first came out. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm very skeptical about what, his, what he's going to be like physically. You just never right. know coming off of, you know, chemotherapy, radiation. I, I, and obviously, I don't, we don't know, you know, what exactly he was uh, having done uh, to, you know, put the, uh, the cancer into remission. So uh, I have a hard time wanting to draft someone who, you know, probably lost muscle mass. You know, we have no idea mm-hmm. how he's going to physically recover. I hope he's fantastic. I hope he is the Trey Mancini we saw in 2019 when he had 35 home runs and, you know, with a 291 batting average. And this is a Baltimore team that is getting better offensively little by little. You know, right now, Ross Resource has him projected to hit fourth uh, behind Santander and in front of Ryan uh, Moncastle. Um, so it's a, it's a very interesting 
spot for him, and I think there's a lot of upside there. I just don't know that I'm gonna be able to pull the trigger until I see him in spring. So I, I'm I'm gonna have to wait till February, March. I mean, it would help if they could let him play DH permanently. Mm-hmm. It would also help if they got Chris Davis off the roster and just ate it a sunken cost at this point. <laughs> uh, and, that, and that's where I feel better. I mean, if you to your point, if you know if he's got to go out there and play in the field, then you have to worry about you know stamina. Can he hold up mm-hmm. and everything? But a DH, just go out there, grab a bat, do what he does best. Uh, you got to set people up for success, and and getting Chris Davis off that roster is, is sunken cost would be helpful if they haven't even if they haven't done it already. But I mean, he's got two more years of that contract. <laughs> two more years of that contract. Yikes. Yeah, I mean, at some point you just cut your losses, right? I mean, you would think. Um, and you know, the organization is being run by more intelligent people than it has been in the past. So you would think it just at some point they go, okay, we're just going to eat these last two years. Chris, good, good luck. If you, you know, you wanted to go sign a minor league contract somewhere else to try to make a roster, but uh, yikes. I mean, we're talking about, he has almost 900 plate appearances over the past three seasons and his batting average in that times roughly one sixty three. Jesus. That's, uh, I mean, wow. Yeah. Wow, 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 wow. Sorry, O's fans. Things are gonna be <laughs> things are gonna be better uh at some point. So uh just just keep the faith. I I, I like what they're doing in Baltimore, so um but let's uh let's move on over to our main topic, uh, and that's talking about some of the award winners and their fantasy value. Jose Breu had just a monster year. I, I think most people thought about him in terms of, like, he was a safe option at first base coming into the year. I don't know that anybody uh, thought he would be able to kind of put together this kind of year where he hit 19 home runs and 262 plate appearances, hit 317, 370, 617. Uh, I mean, just a absolute monster year. Is there any, I mean, obviously he's not going to repeat that necessarily or, or prorate that because that'd be, like, close to, what, 55 home runs. Uh, but what can you <laughs> expect to, uh, for Jose Abreu coming into and, and I think, And I think your turn was perfect when you said safe option, because that's always how this guy has been viewed. And you, you would look at it, you look at it, and his, I, I want to say like he is perennially living in the bottom 25% of the top 100 every year going into a draft. He's there. And he's like, the upside, eh, but he's there. It's like when he plays a full season, he's going to drive in 100 runs, getting back to I'm hitting third or fourth in the lineup. You know, you can fall into 80 runs driven in uh, if you're just an average hitter hitting out of those spots. But he's better than average hitter. And so, you know, he has been in the bank for driving in that uh, those types of runs. And, you know, I remember my preseason pick for MVP was looking on that team was going to be Grandal because he was going to be the guy hitting behind uh, Abreu. I didn't understand that Abreu was just going to steal every run, uh, every RBI, and Grandal wasn't going to be able to do much. Uh, but I mean, he drives in 60 runs in 60 games. I mean, to me, the biggest surprise last year for him was the batting average. Uh, you know, he has always been a good hitter, but to get to a 317 batting average for a guy that just simply lacks foot speed. Yeah, it shows how hard he was hitting the ball last year and hitting it, hitting those uh, grounders and such through the infield with that. And just, uh, and you know, you look back at that lineup, I mentioned Grandal didn't have a great year and Carnacion was pretty much non-existent except for some of the home uh, solo home runs, but his batting average was terrible. But you looked at what was in front of him with, uh, with, uh, with Luis Robert and Aloy Jimenez, even with uh, Robert, I did it again, Robert, you know, with him uh, struggling, I and mean, he was like pretty much non existent in September as well. But 
uh, Abreu just kept driving in runners. Uh, and he's no longer a safe option. I mean, he is, his ADP right now is 34. He's finally being drafted. It used to be, okay, safe and stable, has some value. But now we've seen the upside of what Abreu can do. And now he is, uh, this may be too much helium. It's kind of silly to say, hey, here's a guy coming up a monster season, but at 34, he's being drafted too high. Uh, because you got to, I mean, you just have to bake in a little bit of uh, backslide. But even his backslide is such a high floor. Um, but, you know, this is a, a strong four-category producer. He's never going to produce steals, all right? But it is a, uh, this is a strong uh, four-category producer. Uh, it just, you know, for a guy who's, all again, who's always been in that, that 70s, 80s ADP to get up to 34 like this, uh, to me, feels like an aggressive re- uh, market reaction uh, to to him and to what, he, what happened in, in 2020. Yeah, I I tend to want to agree with you. I, I like him, and I think in most years he's that kind of safe and unsexy option at first base where you just feel like you can pencil in with like 280 to 290 batting average, 30 home runs, uh, and 100 RBI. And I think that's who we're going to be getting, and so I just can't, I can't rationally take him in the back end of the second early third in a 12 or in a 15 team draft it just doesn't seem prudent um i feel like you're paying for what we saw in 2020 and uh don't i'm impressed by what he did but we also have to remember like he didn't have time to cool off it was a 60 game season he was hot for all 60 of those games uh and we assume that at some point uh you know the rest of the world would have started to catch up with him but uh, you know, I'm happy he won the MVP. I just don't think I'm willing to take the shot on where he's going. And this is a guy, remember, this is a guy who was a free agent last winter and decided to re-up with the White Sox. I mean, he clearly said, this is where I want to be, and uh, and he did it. Uh, and that's where it's and, – and he's got two more seasons. It was a three-year, $50 million deal. He's got two more years of it. Uh, and the lineup around him is still young, and he's the anchor of it. Uh, again, if, if we have a full season in 2021 – Baseline thirty one hundred. Yep. Uh, let's uh, let's talk about the other uh, MVP winner, uh, first baseman, as well, uh, and that's Freddie Freeman. I feel like Freddie Freeman is uh, very similar to Abreu in terms of he's kind of the guy that people maybe slept on a little bit coming into drafts previously to twenty twenty one. Uh, and that's because he doesn't steal bases, but he just seems to always produce. I know I faded him in 2020 largely because of injury and then the COVID uh, that he dealt with, but he was fantastic mm-hmm. as well. Are you fading Freddie Freeman at the 2021 price? I don't know if I can. I mean, I'll, I'll push back a little bit on the steals, given the 6, 8, 10, and 6 in the oh, last true, for, yeah. for a first baseman. I always forget you know, that he steals. Quality there. But it, what, what was impressive, what's been impressive, especially this last year, just look at his look at his uh, strikeout rate over the last five seasons: 25, 19, 19, 18, 14. It's like last year he flipped it where he's walking more than he struck out, and that really came down to pitchers saying, "I don't want to pitch to him." And when he first came back last year, uh, and, and the he you know I think he missed like 
first three games, he looked terrible, like opening week. And that was pretty much the last time he looked terrible. Um, and if, if it wasn't for Freeman, I think Ozuna may have won the MVP uh, of the National League. But Freeman was just that amazing. You look at some of the numbers he was putting up with, with runners in scoring position. Um, obviously not a skill, but I want to say his OPS with runners in scoring position was something like 1,500 last year, this past season. It was just insane what he was able to do uh, for things. And that's, you know, that's how you run into, that's how you run into uh, an MVP. Yeah, he hit 423 with runners in scoring position with a 1468 OPS. And 26% walk rate and 11% strikeout rate. It's like you either had to decide to pitch around him or pitch to him and pray that he kept it in the park. Um, yeah, maybe it was like, oh, base is loaded. I'll pitch to him. He's never going to hit a grand slam. Then he, he proved that wrong in the playoffs twice. Um, or I think that was the playoffs where he, he had never had a career grand slam. He hit two in the, either the same game or the same series um, to, the, you know, to that. So, like, right now he's, he's being drafted. He's got ADP of 14. Uh, this is a in a 15-team. You know, he is first round. He performed like a first-round talent. He's been trending in that direction. And and much like same of the same arguments we made for Abreu, you look at the young lineup around him, the talent that's, uh, that's setting the table for him, this is a great, you know, he's in a great spot. He's got a, uh, he's got the great skills at the plate. Very, 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 very high floor. We saw the ceiling. That was the ceiling last year. That's you know, that's not happening again. That was the ceiling, but his floor is so incredibly high. Can you rationalize taking him at the back end of the first round in a fifteen team league though? Because I can't. If you're gonna skip on pitching, yes. Yeah. Like if I'm gonna say, like you look at the you look at the current top fifteen ADP right now, and you've got Cole Bieber. Bauer and Darvish. I take that Darvish is going 16. So you've got Bauer and you've got, I'm sorry, Bauer, DeGrom, Bieber, and Cole in the first round. If you're willing to skip on pitching and you're going to take a hitter in your first round, absolutely. Even in there, yeah, even there, uh, I know we're going to talk about Bieber. Uh, and last year I was saying I don't think he's top 25 pitcher. Oops. Uh, <laughs> or, you know, Trevor Story, if, if the Rockies decide to trade Trevor Story, that drops him out of the first round uh, as well. So, yeah, it, I can justify making a case to take Freeman in, uh, in a 15 in the first round of the 15 team league. <sighs> I I just don't know that I could be able to pull the trigger on on that one. And that that's the difficult part for me is. I mean, he's going like one spot or right in front of, you know, about, about a pick and a half in terms of ADP in front of Cody Ballinger. Mm-hmm. Like, I just can't imagine if I'm on the turn right there at, you know, 15, 16, or even 12, 13 in a 12 team draft, you know, I'm taking Christian Yelich, I'm taking Cody Ballinger, uh, I'm taking Lindor, and if I'm looking at pitching, you know, I'm, I'm not taking Bauer that high, but... Uh, you Darvish uh, in that area, you might get lucky in some drafts and have a guy like uh, Jacob Degrom uh, or one of the top three pitchers fall to you. I just, I think I probably should be more in on him than I am, but I just uh, I do worry about the health. Uh, he's had that elbow issue that's popped up pretty much at the end of every season except for 2020 because it wasn't a long season, mm-hmm. and I do just worry about that at some point catching up with him. So. Uh, not a great rationale, but that that is the rationale for me. Fair enough. We'll uh, agree to disagree. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's fair. Uh, let's talk about the aforementioned Trevor Bauer. 
uh, wins the uh, the Cy Young in the National League. Um, the idea that like people are all all over Twitter, like, oh, you know, he he only won because he was you know using pine tar or some sort of substance to to you know pump up that. Everybody is doing that exactly. Like this pretty article by pretty article by Eno and the Athletic on it. Yeah, I mean, it's just everybody is doing it. I, I think this is the ninety steroids type thing. The, the people that aren't doing it are definitely the minority, as opposed to the people that are. Uh, and so, I, I I give him all the credit in the world. That being said, I am not a Trevor Bauer believer in terms of going this high in ADP. Currently going as pick sixteen in ADP, which means if you're in a 15-team league, you're taking him right there at that turn uh, if you want to get him. Uh, It's just a bit too high for me for a guy who's been super, super inconsistent throughout the course of his career. Where are you at on Trevor Bauer? Yeah, I, I lean in the same direction. And let's not, you know, let's not forget he's going to go to a new team. And and, and our friends, uh, Glenn Colton and Rick Wolf, talk often about free agents going to new teams and how that first year is a struggle. And we even, you know, our most recent reminder was Anthony Rendon. It took him a while to get going in 2020 uh, in that kind of capacity. But I agree for Bauer for all the for all the issues. I mean, he was fantastic to own and watch pitch last year. But you know, we're gonna are we gonna ignore? previous years where it's like oh my god uh you know look at the inconsistencies the ups and downs i mean even just over the past four years 419 221 448 173 so if he's going to pull a brett saberhagen be prepared for four something era in 2021 uh but you know, this is a guy in f- five out of the last seven seasons his era has been north of four uh yeah he's changed as a pitcher all that uh, all that is definitely in play but there are so many factors looking the other direction uh, on him that has to be concerning and we'll see where he ends up uh i don't know where he ends up it's going to be such an interesting free market uh you know a free agent market given that you know running a baseball team is there's nobody makes money in this justin nobody <laughs> makes money in running a baseball team so nobody has any money to spend this year uh and if you Scott Boris always has to have his work worked out for him because I believe uh, no no about no, no. Boris agent he's no. Rachel Rachel yeah. Luba right yeah, yeah. so the, you know very very interesting offseason for her Bauer used to be a uh, Boris guy and left him I think uh, but that's where it'll be very interesting to see how this uh, plays out for her it'd be awesome uh, you know if she goes out and gets that type of deal and just keeps keeps the trend of females breaking through glass ceilings here in the past few weeks uh, which has been awesome to watch. Uh, between the vice presidency, between uh, the Marlins GM, uh, all of that. So it, it'd be nice to see how that plays out. But that said, this to me feels like I can't, I can't pull the trigger. I mean, I can pull the trigger in Freeman being a first rounder. I, I cannot pull the trigger on Bauer being a first rounder. Just can't do it. Yeah, this makes me feel like I've been trying to draft, and I have drafted mostly in the middle of drafts so far, uh, or you know, early in this draft season. Uh, usually, I'm setting my KDS to draft around picks, you know, seven to ten, uh, and this makes me really not want to draft towards the back end because I really don't love the options that are, are facing you right there uh, with with the Bowers, with uh, Freeman. So I definitely am going to be angling to yeah, continue to draft kind of in that middle spot. I like the the projections on Bauer kind of echo a little bit of what I how I feel about him. They have him as a 407 ERA 
yep. one two five whip. I mean, I think you're going to get strikeouts, and if he is a guy that gets to pitch every four games like he wants to, uh, I mean, he could become insanely valuable with the amount of strikeouts he could rack up. I just worry about health. I mean, I know he's been a very healthy guy throughout the course of his career, but if he's doing that, that's just a lot of strain, a lot of innings on on his arm. Uh, And then I worry about him being the Justin Upton of pitching. Uh, and that's, oh. I mean, just a guy who uh, figures it out and then proceeds to change it and not figure, or sorry, not Justin Upton, BJ Upton. Uh, yeah, the yeah. tinkerer. The yeah, just, he just tinkers all the time. I do think he ends up back in Cincinnati. I think his connection with the driveline guys who are working for the organization there mm-hmm. uh, means he ends up back. So I'm not worried about the... Uh, uh, Colton and uh, uh, Wolf uh, theory about him going off to a new spot because I don't think he ends up in one. I just think that I want to feel really safe about my first pitcher, especially if it's coming in the first or second round, and I don't yeah. feel that safe about Bauer. Agree. I mean, the pitchers going behind him, Darvish, Bueller, Giolito, Nola, Kershaw, mm-hmm. you know, it's it, Castillo, Flaherty. I mean, a safety is your pursuit. There are definitely safer options yeah. behind him. So I think I think I definitely put Darvish out of him. I definitely put Giolito in front of him. I definitely put Nola in front of him. And then I think you start having the discussion: How safe do we feel about Walker Bueller coming in? To, you know, after his kind of disastrous twenty twenty one, how safe do we feel about Clayton Kershaw's back? How safe do we feel about? Uh, Luis Castillo, Flaherty, and Scherzer. Um, I think that's really the spot he should be. But if you're really in a 15 team mixed, if you're in a 15 team mixed, this is this. These are your decisions on the elbow there. Yeah. You know, this is what this is what you have to think about. Uh, if you're you know if you're in the 10 to 12 range, likely that decision's being made for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes it a little safer. But if you are if you're in, at the end of the first round right now, this is what you have to think about. I mean, right now it's like 15, 16. It's, it's Bauer Darvish. You know, there's people, you know, I forgot who was pulling the pocket aces theory this this uh, this Toby. time last year. Bad, bad flip, Toby. Thank you. Uh, you know, if you want to go pocket aces, 15, 16, if you're going chalk right now, that's Bauer Darvish. I just, yeah, I would not feel okay. I mean, I, and let me, as much as I love Toby, and Toby is a really, really smart and successful fantasy baseball player. And you should definitely uh, go and subscribe to his podcast. Uh, bat flip, uh, uh, bat flip crazy. Um, I I've never been comfortable with the pocket aces theory. I've never done it myself. Um, I've done it, and I I just never have liked the way my team looks, and that just may be a personal construction thing. So it's uh, I just I can't pull that trigger on that on that yeah. theory. So I'd much rather go hitter hitter. Is that pocket deuces? I don't know. I don't what was hitter hitter. <laughs> so, uh, you know, my most recent draft I took, I put I took Jacks. How's that? Because you're looking for homers. Yeah, exactly. Oh, ooh, I like that. Gonna, See, I may not be a successful fantasy player, but I am smart. SMRT. <laughs> uh, let's go ahead and move on over to uh, the other Cy Young winner. That's Shane Bieber. Uh, again, going super high. Much higher than, uh, or not much higher, but higher than our uh, our not boy uh, Bauer. Uh, He's currently going at pick nine, you know, in between nine and ten. Or sorry, no, he's going at eight point five seven. I was looking at Degrom. Uh, He's going ahead of Degrom, 
uh, going behind Cole. Is that the spot you want for him in the top three among slaughtering pitchers? Is it? I don't want the guy. That's that's the and this comes back to last year. I said last year he wasn't a top twenty or twenty five pitcher, and he was the best pitcher in fantasy baseball last year. So that's where and it's it's so weird to watch him. If Alex Fast and I have was like this running thing. Yeah, you know, last last winter we were talking about you know you look at guys with their contact rate. I mean, I wrote it up in, in the Rotowire bold prediction of why I did not like him, uh, and the fact that there's a there's a uh, a danger where, you know, even when he misses, like if he doesn't have his fine command, he can get hit hard. And we saw it in the, the wild card game, you know, when they lost to the Yankees, I believe that was whatever that, when they pitched in his final appearance this year was not good. And that's what I remember. Uh, that's why I'm like, see, yeah, it finally worked that, that it finally rung out. But uh, I think he had one bad outing because I'm like looking back at the uh, direct message thread that Alex and I have. It's like <laughs> August 9th, Jeff Erickson's like Shane Bieber conundrum. He rarely gets hit, but when he does, he gets hit pretty loud. It's like, yeah, see, that's what I'm that's what I'm talking about. And then even uh, and and Michael, sorry if I mispronounce your last name, Simeone or Simeone. I don't know if the E's Simeone. silent. At, all right, Simeone. So it's like me, silent E at the end. He had a tweet on November 6th, biggest K percentage to deserve K percentage gainers uh, from from Alex Chamberlain's chart. He had guys, Yarbrough, Castellini, going the opposite way. Number one, Bieber, 41% strikeout rate, 33% deserve strikeout rate. And I just I, uh, set Alex a note. I was like, there's Bieber again. It's like, this is what I'm talking about. He's like, he keeps outperforming what should happen. And like, even if you go to a StatCat page, StatCast page and look at his past season, as awesome as it was, his hard hit rate was in the bottom 20th percentile. His exit velocity was in the bottom third. Bottom third, And it's like you look at some of this stuff and it's like, okay, he's everything else. All of his expected stats top. But it's just like the the, the line between he's going to be amazing and something could happen. Is, it seems like it's perpetually existent to me. And it's again, I'm going to fade him this year. I don't want him where he's being taken. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong again. It happens. I get it. But to me... As, as much as I'm comfortable taking Freeman in the first round, I am not comfortable taking Shane Bieber in the first round. Yeah, I'm very torn on Bieber. I, I will likely not have him on any teams coming into 2021, largely because I can't take him where he's going. Like, I'm going to take the hitter more than likely at, over Bieber. I've got him ranked third right now. Uh, in my my early early ranks that I haven't released quite yet um, should be coming out sometime in the next week or two. Um, I, I'm definitely taking Cole over him. I'm definitely taking Degrom over him. I have Degrom one, Cole two, uh, and but I think that that is the elite tier, and I think Bieber is being thrown up there. And while I understand that, I think he's a little bit closer to Darvish in terms of kind of that second tier than. He is towards the uh, Degrom and uh, and Colts here. I just worry the strikeouts come back down to earth a little bit. Uh, like you said, he does when he gets hit, he gets hit hard. So I worry about the home run rate uh, coming back up. The BABIP equalizing out a little bit. I mean, he stranded ninety one percent of the runners uh, uh, that were on base. I I just think that there's enough regression. Uh, that should be coming his way that eventually we're looking at a guy that is going, I think, still be good, but first-round material, 
I don't think so. I, if he was going towards the back end of the first round, that's the spot I'd be much more interested. But I don't think he's going to be there in most drafts. He So far, through the seven drafts on NFBC, his, uh, his max pick is 11. And let's appreciate how amazing his curveball was last year. Mm-hmm. 095 batting average against 117 expected, 143 slug. I mean, the curveball, and he threw a he gave up one home run on the curveball the entire season, right? And he and he recognized, hey, this pitch is really playing for me. It became his second most popular pitch. He threw a bunch of it, adding the cutter out of nowhere. I mean, the cutter wasn't even something he was talking about in spring training. Worked on it in summer camp, and then he comes out and says, hey, guess what, guys? I'm throwing a cutter. I'm going to slap, get rid of the slider, really put it in the back pocket. And the cutter became his third most popular pitch. And so a lot of those factors worked out well for him. Uh, and again, in a 60, 60 inning season, anything was possible. I think he had one bad outing, one, uh, if I remember the game logs correctly. So uh, we'll see how it plays out. But I agree with you to me. I just can't pull the trigger on this guy in the first round. If I'm wrong again, I'm wrong again. But how how long can he continue to outperform uh, outperform what his skills say? There's there's issues here. He did it in 2019. Did it in 2020. How long could he stay ahead uh, of that remains to be seen. But I, I'm not taking him in the first round. If I'm even if I'm picking at the end of the first round, I'm passing. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, let's uh, talk about the rookie of the years. We'll start off with Kyle Lewis. Uh, who won it uh, in Seattle. I, I was a little surprised he actually won, considering all the hype around uh, Luis Ro- uh, Robert. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think it was well-deserved. The question is, is his ADP well-deserved? And he is currently going at pick 100, 101. Uh, are you drafting him as a top 100 player? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so... It, you know, the advantage, things that are in his favor. One, he's playing every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's playing every day. Yeah, that, that, to Seattle's credit, that's where I give him credit for, is like, okay, we're, we, we're going to suck. And, and we're going to make sure that our kids play so we can see what we have. Uh, and so, you know, he, uh, let's, not, let's not forget, he's never had an at-bat in AAA. He went from AA to the majors. Uh, and he did that in 2019. Obviously, we didn't have AAA in 2020, but he went from AA to the majors, and, and then they thought enough of him to say, you know what, we've seen enough. You're staying up, and you're going to play all season. And so that was impressive. Uh, but again, we're t- and he is uh, 25 years old, so like this is where we'd want him to be. But we're, we're also talking about a guy, 317 plate appearances into his career, is striking out one of every three plate appearances. Uh, but he is walking, too. Uh, and so that's where that's what I'd like. And he's going to play every day. But when I'm looking at about 100 and who else is going around, because I always want to take a look at that, I'm just looking at people that are eligible in the outfield. Jeff McNeil, Tommy Pham, Mike Yastrzemski, Will Myers, Dylan Moore, Eddie Rosario, Alex Verdugo are the, and I'll stop because Byron Buxton's next puke. Uh, but you know, <laughs> of those names, I, I'm taking, I'm taking the non Kyle Lewis person in like four of those six scenarios. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. And those are all those are all one to two rounds later. I mean, again, with him being a hundred mm-hmm. in a fifteen team, that is the sixth to seventh round. To me, that feels aggressive for a guy with a lack of track record. Well, and the track record isn't as pristine as maybe the Rookie of the Year award would tell us, right? Because right. he was absolutely on fire 
to start the season. And mm-hmm. if you break it up into 29 games for the first half, 29 games for the second half, he was atrocious in the second half. You know, four home runs, but a 37% strikeout rate, hit 150, got on base at a 265 clip. Uh, he was not good at all in in the second half. I mean, he really, uh, his numbers are largely based on what he did early on in the season. And I was a big Kyle Lewis fan coming in to 2020. I thought he was a really, really nice price. Uh, he's a former top prospect. I think people forget that, I mean, this was one of top 20, top 25 prospects in baseball at one point. Mm-hmm. Uh largely based just on his natural tools, but it was injuries that kind of curtailed uh, his, uh, you know, rise to the majors and, and really, you know, rubbed off a lot of that prospect uh, hype. That being said, I think we can't ignore the fact that he spent a lot of his time in the minor leagues injured. Right. Um, and he was truly atrocious in the second half, um, in, which makes it even more surprising that he actually did win the, the Rookie of the Year uh, award because, I mean... Yeah, that was really, really bad. I like Kyle Lewis, but I do I hate him at this spot. I just think it's, there's so it's many a risk. guys. I mean, yeah. as much as, like, if you're going to take a guy that has got huge upside like Kyle Lewis does, and we saw in the first half when I think he hit, like, 368 um, with nine home runs, uh, would, wouldn't you rather take the guy in Giancarlo Stanton who's got huge upside as well? You know, I was, was, I was looking at something earlier that, like, I think both Giancarlo Stanton and J.D. Martinez are both going after. Yep. Yes, yeah. that's what I was, I was looking at ADP. Martinez, yeah, Tommy now, Pham. Can you, explain, can you explain why they're both only considered utility only? Because they... I thought they had enough. I thought they had eight games. Maybe I missed the game. No, I, I, yeah, it's seven, seven games is what um, okay. what NFBC is rolling with. Uh, but J.D. Martinez, uh, let's see, he played... Huh. Interesting. It says he played seven games in the outfield. That's, why, that's where I was a little confused. Maybe it's game started? I can't imagine they brought him in. Huh. I'll, I'll have to check with uh, I'll check with uh, Greg. Uh, so I mean, because I saw me utility only, so I'm like, okay, that ex- that would explain why. But you know, because I mean, JD Martinez 2020 was such a lost season. I don't know if he ever got the I can't go to the tunnel and watch video out of his head type of thing. But we know what JD Martinez is capable of. You know, the previous six seasons, we've seen what Giancarlo Stanton can do if he can ever keep things healthy. Uh, but yet. Those guys are going three, two to three rounds later than a guy with 300 plate appearances who had a good five-week run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I like Kyle Lewis as a player, and I think he's got a bright future in, in the majors if he can stay healthy. But I worry about the health, and I, I'm not paying this price. I think that's what it comes down to is uh, it's just it's such a huge price to pay for someone who really struggled uh, and didn't re- kind of adjust back i think i think what happened was pitchers finally adjusted to him and he wasn't he didn't have enough time maybe or wasn't able to adjust back and i think that if you're going to pick someone in the top 100 especially if you're playing in a 15 team league but even if you're playing in a 12 you want to feel pretty comfortable about what you're getting Mm -hmm. all right now he's the 27th outfielder off the board 
Mm, yeah, no, that's yeah. Your outfielder number two or number three, that's that that's not what I want. He's full four rounds ahead of Jorge Soler, and I. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm I'm taking Soler in that in that scenario mm-hmm. as well. All right, let's uh, let's wrap up with the NL uh, uh, Rookie of the Year. Uh, a surprising pick, um, not because he didn't deserve it, because uh, Devin Williams was absolutely insane, uh, but just because a reliever got the credit uh, and not a closer, um, right? <laughs> got the credit that he deserved, um, and so I, I think it's really cool that. Uh, the Baseball Writers Association made the right choice, uh, and I, I think he was the right choice. Uh, that being said, I'm very, very skeptical of drafting him, especially where he's going in 2021. So why don't you tell me what your thoughts on Denovan Williams are? I, so first of all, we need to edit on the Fangraphs page because they have his change upgraded as a 40 with a 40 upside. <laughs> yeah, that's got to change. I think that should be 140 over 140 because that change up's freaking fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that said, uh, with him, and I love the fact that he faced exactly 100 batters last year because it makes the math so easy to do. Okay, 53 strikeouts, 53% strikeout rate. Easy. He walked nine, 9%. Stri- so, like, all, all of that is so easy. But I think one thing, and this is where it comes up We early in the podcast, we were talking about, you know, anything can happen in a 60-game 60, mm-hmm. 60, uh, season. And, and to me, like, Williams is the epitome of this. Because one of the things that happened with him is in, in that relief role, the way he was used, he didn't face a lot of guys multiple times. In fact, he faced one, two, three, four, five, six guys, three or more plate appearances last year. Everybody else was one or two plate appearances, and most of them were one. And that's really the the, the freaky thing about the numbers is so many guys saw him once. And now the guys that saw him multiple times, Rizzo, 0 for 4, 2 strikeouts. Wilson Contreras, 0 for 4, 2 strikeouts. Chris Bryant, 0 for 4, 2 strikeouts. I mean, that's pretty much the Cubs season right there. Uh, Greg Polanco, 0 for 3, 1 strikeout. Brad Miller, 0 for 3, 2 strikeouts. And Ian Happ, 0 for 3 with 1 strikeout. But those are the guys that only saw, that saw him three or, four, uh, three or more plate appearances. But so much of what he did last year were guys seeing him for the first time in a season. And obviously, you know, the what he did with the changeup last year was a, uh, it was, we knew what his changeup was coming into the season, but he took it to a new level uh, last year. And I think a lot of this comes down to limited exposure. I'd be curious to see how it holds up over a course of a full season. He pitched in 22 games and threw 27 innings um, in, in that amount of time did amazing damage in, the, in that time. But how is that going to play up as, as he has to face guys, more often over the course of a full season, especially some of those guys in division. I mean, if we're back to normal, he's going to have the Cubs and he's going to have the Cardinals, Cubs, Cardinals, Pirates, uh, and Reds uh, more uh, on more repeat than he did this last year. I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, when I look at that, especially as those teams in season, I read off the read off the guys who faced them multiple times, and most of that was Cubs. I mean, he only had one guy from the Pirates, nobody from Cincinnati that it faced them more than twice. It's kind of crazy. Uh, and so that's, and I don't even, I even look to see where his ADP is, but that's where I'm a little concerned. I mean, what one somebody pitched at such an elite level as yeah. he did last year, one fifty three, right behind Kevin Gosman. Uh, I mean, in that capacity, fine, but like other relievers, Taylor Rogers, um, Who's Trevor Rosenthal. Saves. Yeah. Trevor Rosenthal, um, 
whatever role that Tony Gonsolin's going to be in. Jordan Romano right now you think is the favorite to close. Kirby Yates, somebody explain that one to me. Yates did have TJ surgery, yes? No, I don't think he did. Okay, maybe he's going the PRP route. Yeah. Matt Barnes, I mean, he's... As far as pitcher ADP, he's 58 off the board. I, I don't mind that for upside, depending on how... Depending on what your roster looks like at that point. Because if he's just a middle reliever getting strikeouts and things go south, that could get ugly. Yeah. Because, again, some of those starting pitchers we talked about, Musgrove, Corbin, Morton, Bassett, Maley, all going behind him. Yeah, I just... I can't do this for a middle reliever. And he's a really, really good middle reliever. But we see guys, uh, you know, the Chris Devenskys of the world, um, that, you know, pop up, are great for a season or two, uh, and then kind of go back down. Not to mention, Devin Williams wasn't on the postseason roster because he was hurt. Right. Like, And I think it was elbow trouble. So uh, as much as I like him, again, I'm staying away from those injured guys. Um, and I'm, I'm glad he had this huge year. I glad he got some hardware, but, uh, yeah, not going to end up on any of my team and something you kind of alluded to that, uh, I didn't really think about until you were talking right then is four of the six guys on this list of award winners that we're discussing pitched, pitched or hit in the central, you know, yeah. which was clearly the, the <laughs> you know, the worst of the, of the three super conferences, um, or whatever we're going to call them. Um, <laughs> and uh, while I think a lot of people are kind of readjusting things, uh, you know, in terms of kind of waiting, you know, the the difficulty of competition in the Central especially, uh, part of me wonders, are we going to have that again? I mean, we assume with COVID not going away, it's, it's likely we're going to have that kind of set up one more time. All I want is the Universal DH to stick around. Yeah, I honestly... It is. It's a bargaining chip. It's totally going to stick around. Keep, Please keep it around. If, if anything, I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards the season being shortened a little bit, only mm-hmm. because I don't think you can get everybody together for spring training. That's where yeah. that's where it kind of impacts. So reporting in mid-February, maybe that becomes March. So you push it, you shorten it. But I don't know. Because we saw the NBA shorting it to, what, 70 games, going from 82 to 70? Yeah, I think 72. Um, okay, so they, yeah, they dropped ten to twelve games off their schedule. Uh, so I, it, I think we get a well, hundred games. Yeah, I hope we get more than that. We'll see. I, I, I hope we do too. But I think I think a hundred is is likely what we're gonna get, which is one of the reasons I was so surprised that Stroman signed that qualifying offer. But uh, yeah, I think we end up getting a hundred games, maybe one twenty if if we're really lucky. And I do think we. Um, you know, unless COVID, you know, the vaccine comes in and COVID is uh, really looking like an afterthought come spring, uh, which I just, I, I don't believe <laughs> until we see it. Um, I think we're probably going to have this, a similar setup to what we saw in uh, 2020, which are, you know, central teams are going to play the other central teams, which is really good for a lot of these guys. Uh, but something we definitely want to kind of take into the equation coming in for the, for 2021. Yeah. All right. Well, that uh, that wraps up all our items on our to-do list for today. Jason, what do you got going on? Working a lot on the uh, the Rotowire uh, draft draft guide. Uh, right now, doing a lot of player capsules, getting ready to write the uh, the value buying value in the scrap heap piece for the seventh year. Uh, Always have fun doing that. So a lot of it uh, is vested in that. I haven't done any specific player 
deep dives into anything yet, uh, but I may get into that. But right now, it's just been a lot of getting stuff ready for the draft guide uh, and magazines. What about you? Uh, getting ready for getting rolling on the Friends of Fantasy Benefits draft guide, uh, doing ranks, which I'm going to start here releasing here uh, this upcoming week. Uh, I think second base and starting pitcher are likely uh, the first two sets that I'll have done. Um, and uh, yeah, just kind of plugging along, doing podcasts here, Friends of Fantasy Benefits, TGFBI, all that good stuff. So. Uh, follow Jason on Twitter at Jason Collette. Follow me on Twitter at Justin Mason FWFB. Uh, and that will do it for us. For Jason, myself. Uh, oh, uh, oh, I'll close one final note. Oh, go, Happy please. birthday, Justin. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I'm not a birthday celebrating kind of guy very often. <laughs> so, um, luckily, uh, my schedule just shifted, so I'm now... Now only working my my actual day job Tuesday through Friday, uh, so moved moved over to four days a week as opposed to you know five days a week. So uh, get my birthday off this year, but I'm not doing anything special other than maybe starting to set up Christmas decorations. Yeah, I, and you know I'm all for that. By the way, with with Thanksgiving being so late this year, a lot of people need good news, cheer, you know, whatever. You know, the stores are all doing. I see all these Black Friday. A lot of these sales are popping up early. Fine. You know, take. I told my wife, I'm good. I'm normally a, you don't do anything until Thanksgiving Day. But this year, I'm like, screw it. Put it up now. Get the Christmas village going on. Haven't seen any Christmas tree stuff, the real ones out yet. Uh, so that may have to be the last piece of the puzzle. But I, I'm taking tomorrow off because I have the ability to. Um, and we record this on Sunday, so I'm taking Monday off. And I'm getting Christmas stuff down out of the uh, out of the attic because I am I love the way our house looks during this time of year. And if we can't have anybody over, then I'm going to enjoy my house. So, yeah. Yeah, I actually put up Christmas lights on the house back in March. Um, <laughs> just because, like, I thought, well, you know what? People are stuck at home, and uh, they're not able to, like, really go out and do things. But if they're walking around the block, maybe it'll make them smile to see, you know, some bright lights on the house. So uh, I've had Christmas lights up from March until about mid-October when we put up our Halloween stuff. But we do big displays here at the Mason household for nice. uh, for Halloween and Christmas. So it, it, I'm actually starting a little bit later than I normally would and getting my Christmas stuff ready. Nice. All right. That will wrap us up. Uh, for Jason and myself, thank you for listening. Have a fantastic uh, off-season. Thanks, guys.